Hey Retro Gamers, today on Smashing Bricks we flip between TV channels to somehow protect a teen slumber party? In Night Trap for the Sega CD. Hey, welcome back to Smashing Bricks, a retro gaming podcast. This is episode 21. My name is Eddie Anzato, and for today's special Halloween episode, I'm joined once again by returning guest, head of community at Robot Cash, the Red Cyclone himself, Mr. Kyle Stalick. Hello. What's up, man? Uh, I don't feel trapped by Night Trap anymore. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh my goodness, little foreshadowing. No, there. actually, I have a love-hate relationship with it, and I can't wait to talk about it. Awesome. Well, here we are, ready to go. But first, it's our Halloween special episode, Ooh. which basically just means you and I are going to talk about some of our favorite horror games before we get into the Night Trap discussion. So excited. Um, yeah, are you a big fan of horror games? Uh, it's probably one of my all-time favorite genres. I played everything that comes out for it. That I can get my hands on, yeah. It is one of my favorite genres, and I realize that I don't play enough of it. And we're going to find that out, I think, right now, because we're going to go through our top fives of our favorite horror games of all time before jumping into Night Trap. So I think we should just get started. Maybe, Kyle, you can start. We'll alternate. You'll do your number five, and then I'll do mine. So this list, um, I I don't like putting them in an order but let's just say one Mm, of the top five is going to be condemned uh i think it's called condemned criminal Criminal origins Origins. yeah yeah and uh the reason i picked it uh, it's there still isn't a game on the market like that uh it really felt like a triple a first person melee horror and one of the the most interesting like most interesting pieces about it was like sometimes you didn't know if people were mannequins or not and they would get right up in your face and you would knock someone's teeth out with like rebar and they'd be missing Mm -hmm. those teeth as they'd run at you and it was just horrific i remember back in the day and i really wish sega i think would reboot this was it sega i do not recall specifically that's not on my list i did remember that game when i was coming up with this and i remember liking it a lot but for some reason i couldn't really put together what the experience was in my memory i kind of forgot so i couldn't add it but i do remember liking it a lot i remember it reminding me of like for some reason i remember playing it and i remember when i was playing it it reminded me of an old game kingpin a first person shooter game on uh, pc that's right in that they were like really violent like physical violence was was a key part of the visual representation like you're saying with the people's faces getting all messed up and everything but yeah it had like a lot of jump scares to it right mm-hmm. a lot of jump scares yeah. uh the plot was neither here nor there uh you can tell they, they tried something uh don't play condemned 2 at the end if you do play condemned 2 just go three-fourths of the way in and be like all right that's good enough um i just <laughs> Condemned One just had this unique flavor that we hadn't seen before, and uh, 
yeah, it was just they, they sculpted all these like really interesting horror scenes. I don't know how well it holds up, but if you can see it through the lens of back then and play it, I think it's probably still, you know, interesting, if, if anything. <laughs> What's on your nice. list? All right, so that's Condemned. My number five, I decided I would put Eternal Darkness on there. That's a GameCube game. I don't yep. know if that's been ported, but it was originally on GameCube, and it was developed by Silicon Knights. And it did have some jump scares also, but this one was very different in that it utilized a lot of the same techniques as Psycho Mantis, the character from Metal That's Gear right. Solid did, where it played a lot of tricks on the player while you were playing and tried to instill this slow creep of uncertainty in your own sanity while you were playing. And that really fit its overall theme which was very Lovecraftian in that there was this cosmic, it's a, I would say it's a cosmic, cosmic horror yep. game with yep. a lot of that psychological torment of the player as you try to play through. That game, I really liked it. Uh, as far as like as a game itself, it was a third person kind of action game and it had kind of like wonky controls, but it all, it all came together really nicely as a fantastic experience. I mean, that at the time, that was like a 10 out of 10. Easy. I believe I gave it a 9.4 wherever I reviewed it. Speaking of four, what's your number four? Uh, you know, okay, I'm going to save my number one. It's, I, I'm not going to put these in any or, order. Um, I think right. the number four at this, at this juncture is going to, I'm going to say um, Alien Isolation, uh, yes. which I think is just a, a perfect game uh in every respect because i love the notion that you can play the whole game without even seeing the alien um if you do that yes, well i, I, I didn't <laughs> but um i i did play it and i just love the fact that i really felt like i was living in the alien universe which is you know a rarity when you're playing a licensed game <laughs> and it's just a general terror. It's not a horror game in terms of like condemned where it's, you know, you're hurting unfortunate homeless people that have been taken advantage of by well, spoilers. Um, this is just you running away from an alien and there's not a whole lot of fighting back at it. And that's kind of the, the terror part of it. You can't do much. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I helpless. love that. I, I recently had a, a very short conversation about there being such a thing as a terror game where mm. like maybe it's not the classic horror themes or the motifs but you always feel this sense of real fear and we were like maybe that should just be called a terror game and yeah like, yeah that's what i'm into and i've got one that's similar to that coming up uh, well that should be maybe its own separate genre because w one of the main points of gaming for a lot of people is the power fantasy and different manifestations mm. of that so yeah. a game that takes it away is inherently going to like uh, sideswipe you or T-bone you a little bit, your emotions, <laughs> and you're not going to know yeah. what to do. So that, yeah. What's on your number four? So, okay. So my number four is kind of the opposite. It, it's not a scary game. I'm, I'm basically, <laughs> well, it depends really. Like you could be scared the entire time you're playing, scared that you're going to get killed because it's very difficult. But it, but it, uh. It is a very horror-themed game, so it's on there because it's simply a great game with an amazing story, and that is from Software's Bloodborne. 
<laughs> I knew you were going to put know one that of those. <laughs> I'm a big Dark Souls, Demon Souls fan. And Bloodborne actually for me is below all those. But in its theming, its setting is really, really well presented. Mm-hmm. And that sort of environment of whether it's Lovecraftian or earlier in the game, more like traditional werewolf style, Victorian, whatever kind of horror. It really does a great job at that. And I guess you're terrified when you fight the bosses because you know they're going to kill you 20 times. But uh, yeah, Bloodborne is just a, a really good game with an incredible story too, mostly to discover as you play. And it just gets better and better as you play. I actually, um, I played a little bit of Bloodborne. Um, it, the gameplay in the From Software games usually doesn't really get me. It's not fast enough. Like I, I beat mm-hmm. Lies of P recently. And I'm jumping into Lords of the Fallen, and it's just something about the From Software ones that just feel a little too slow for me. Um, but I did read up on the story of Bloodborne, and that is awesome. <laughs> well, Bloodborne is faster than any of the Dark Souls games for sure. It is. Fair it's enough. still not fast enough for my still taste. not fast enough to no. you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness. Do you like Bayonetta? Uh, I love Bayonetta and Devil May Cry. See, I hate stuff. Bayonetta. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a stylish action guy. Mm. So what's your next one not in order? Just want to make sure everybody yes. knows. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Um <laughs> not in order, Dead Space is probably uh. I think uh so I played uh, the original when it came out. Uh, I played the remaster. It was a remaster, right? Um and yeah. then and then the the new version because we've had a couple different versions of Dead Space. Um, Mm -hmm. and the new one was uh, one of my friends actually helped work on the sound design for it. Um, she came up with this like new system so that the sound would be more reflective of the objects and the weight of those objects and what the materials are made of. And so I was like, okay, I have to play this for sure. And it, it just feels like an upgraded experience in so many ways. And they added like the gravity stuff to the first one because that wasn't in there. It was in the second one. Mm. So it's like an upgraded, but I was reminded of how taut of an experience that is, like from front to back. It's pretty easy now. Uh, you know, if you, I just used the plasma cutter the whole way through, didn't even use another mm-hmm. one. But man, it's, it's just, there's new things popping up the whole time. It's more like a haunted house of horrors that you have to shoot your way through. And it's just, can, can I say balls to the wall here? Cause it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great. Uh, not, not really horrific. Uh, even if you play, you know, on hard or anything like that, but just still just those power fantasy, uh, jump scares. And it's awesome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I agree on that one. I had a lot of fun playing dead space the first time it was, uh, you know, it was a pivotal moment. I feel like, like it made a big splash at the time and for good reason, but didn't sell any back then, which is terrible. But critically it made a good, a big splash. It did. Yeah. It felt like a, a like a logical next step for Resident Evil Four. Yeah, that good point. that gameplay, you know, great. Whereas point. Uh, Resident Evil Five and Six were not. They decided <laughs> to do something different at the time. Speaking of which, my number three, I'm cheating. Okay, but nobody's allowed to complain because it's my show. It's Resident Evil One, Four, and Seven. <laughs> That's good. Though. I love. I like the Resident Evil franchise, mm-hmm. but I also feel like there are entries that are just not good. Mm. But the times that 
the the series was reinvented or invented with the first one, mm-hmm. they did an amazing job. That first Resident Evil when it came out in 1996 was everything to me. That oh my God. began my love for survival horror games. It's it just the feeling of walking around that mansion with the fixed camera angles, a lot like surveillance cameras, hint, mm-hmm. hint, wink, wink, shadowing, <laughs> um, and not being able to see your enemies and the wonky controls and the limited ammo and the limited saving resources. Amazing. Then Resident Evil 4 changed everything up, brought that that feeling into a new generation it brought the action changed the perspective but still maintained the sense of a a physical struggle against these enemies that you're not sure you're going to be able to overcome plus it had a lot of stuff going on in the background to always keep the difficulty exactly perfect and it had those those cinematic cutscenes with the interactions qtes mm-hmm. loved it and then finally biohazard 7 which switched it up again, brought it to first person, and really brought it back to a more sort of lingering sense of horror surrounding your entire situation, and just a really creepy vibe in the world. I loved all three of those especially. Those are my top three Resident Evil games, and they go together in my number three slot. No one's here to stop you. Good. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> what do you think? So you like the, the Resident Evil games too? Love them. I actually... Uh, I- I've read the novelizations of them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Super fan over here. I've read the comics. I've played almost every version across every platform, um, even some of the Game Boy ones. Even, you know, the not so good ones, let's just say. Uh yeah, huge fan. Uh six. I th- yeah, I, I played six. Um wacky. <laughs> I'll play anything. If it says Resident Evil, I'll play it. <laughs> I don't even yeah. care if they, if they release a new one. They're like, this is three out of ten. It's a complete waste of your time. I'm like, all right, seventy dollars right there. Fire it up. <laughs> Fire it up. Here we go. I'm gonna hate every minute, but I'll play it because I'm a devoted fan. Uh, yeah, I think uh, one of my favorite things that they ever did was, uh, it this to me is like one of the most important things about horror. It's about the uh decision of the player to move forward and resident evil i think is one of the first games that did that is because through that that, like surveillance footage angle that you're talking about sometimes you would switch cameras or like go into another area and you'd be in the the background kind of and in the foreground would be like the waist down of a zombie and you'd be like and it'd just be standing there and you'd good and you'd know if you have to you have to walk forward and you're going to alert that enemy. And it'd be like, wait, what? And you just kind of stand there for a little bit and be like, oh, here we go. And I love that yep. feeling, you know? <laughs> you're just like paralyzed for a second. Oh, what do I do now? Yeah, and they do Should that I continue? so well. Should I go back and try that other door? Yes. Ex- <laughs> See, that's it. That's what horror and games is all about. It's that player control. And like, that's the difference between a book or... I mean, a book, you have the decision to turn the page of course, but you know, there's, there's Mm. one option available to you. Movies, it's very passive. You're sitting there, but what makes games unique is that you have that player decision to do that. And and I remember Resident Evil being one of the few games that really told me that it was so awesome Mm. at the time. The dog jumping out of the window. Jeez. Oh God. (laughs) Legendary. Crimson zombies for the first time on the GameCube. Oh man. Yeah. On the remake. So good. All right. What's your fourth unordered favorite horror game? 
Uh, so Silent Hill 2 is probably my favorite horror game of all time, and I'm saving my last pick for something special. But Silent Hill 2 is a perfect game. It's one of the games that I've remembered most throughout the years that uh, I understood it in one way and various capacities when I was younger and when I beat it. Um, I certainly invoked certain feelings. Um, the older I get and the more I understand, like, the character guilt that played into the creation of the characters. Because, like, the nurses, as we know in Silent Hill 2, they're manifestations of, like, his sexual desire for those nurses, right? Or so I hear. Mm. Pyramid is, like, the lingering guilt that he has over different things. And, uh, yeah, there, I don't won't spoil it because the remake is coming out soon. But a lot of what we love about Silent Hill is actually from that. And they kind of took it kind of um i don't want to say diluted the franchise but pyramid head outside of silent hill 2 doesn't make as much sense and there's a lot of things that don't make sense for silent hill outside of that game that they brought on that became like tropes of the brand but in terms of mm. storytelling everything it was just impeccable i, I think about it still <laughs> that's how much of an impact it made on me definitely and i think the silent hill games one through four kind of demand a replay with a more developed mind and a more critical uh, mindset mm -hmm. and it just so happens that my number two here on my list is i'm cheating again but i'm saying silent hill two three and four nice. i loved those games particularly as horror games like i think i like the resident evil games better overall Mm -hmm. But the Silent Hill games are superior from the perspective of what is horror. And I think what you said about 2, what we find with the main character and what she's going through in 3, and the insane setup of 4, despite oh my God. having some, some back yeah. end of the game issues with replaying everything you've played already. But I love that game too, even though people always trash talk it. People Those trash talk 4? People trash talk for all the time, yeah. Oh my God, the room, like, yeah, it brought something different, but the idea of being trapped in that room and, uh, you know, hearing people knock on your door and you can't even respond to them and uh, lighting the candles up and, man, yeah. it had so many different things, especially, like, I think in a post-quarantine world, I think that demands a remake or a replay oh, at the very interesting. least. Interesting. Yeah, all of those games were just so dense with metaphor from what I remember, and that's why I would like to go back and look at them with more of this sort of psychological perspective as an older man. But uh, right. from, from what I played, they were just fantastic. And that's why basically on every list you look at, Silent Hill 2 particularly is at or near the top. It's like kind of a trope to say Silent Hill 2, but really, like, it is that good. If people... When people list like Citizen Kane of games, I'm not going to compare the two, but it's like, you're like, oh, someone listed Citizen Kane as their best movie. And you're just like, yeah, but it is that good. <laughs> so whatever. Um, my At the top of my list is one, the probably the first horror game that really uh, shook me to my core a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and um, it wasn't necessarily the graphics. It was more the idea of this mm -hmm. character that had been built up in media and I had to face him and I lacked the skills in order to beat him. And it's one of the I'm games. To figure this out. 
Exactly. Okay. Um, this is one of the games that I really practice to beat the game um, and to get over that fear. So it's like a, a pivotal point in, in my game development, so to speak, as a kid. And it's Friday the 13th on NES. I did, I did not expect that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Interesting. I don't because know if I've even ever played that game. Because you'd, you'd be running around, and it was like a side-scroller, and it wasn't, maybe the gameplay wasn't that great, but you'd you'd find out, like, kids were dying, and, you know, as a, as a young kid, you were like, oh my god, I gotta save the kids. There's a lot of emotional heft to that. They did some interesting things with the visual design to kind of put the stresses on, but when you'd see Jason in a room... He was, he was very, very difficult to beat, and he'd kill you. Mm. And I wasn't ever scared of the horror movies. Like, if you grew up in the 80s like we did, you know, like, that horror wasn't something to be scared of. It was just cool. Like, you'd root for the villain at times. <laughs> Freddie and Jason yeah. and all of them. But that game, uh, there was something about it, the music, everything. And I was just on a podcast with uh, Josh Barnett, and he mentioned that too, so I don't feel so bad. And he's like, you know, six four and two fifty. So I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone could be scared. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So that that's really appropriate for a retro gaming podcast. I appreciate that. <laughs> that it was not even like, yeah. Oh, totally. I did intend that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Um, so my number one is I'm cheating for a third time and bringing us a trilogy of games. And this is the the trilogy created by Frictional Games. It's not really a trilogy. I just call it that. <laughs> but it's Amnesia the Dark Descent. Mm. Its predecessor, mm-hmm. which was a sequel itself, Penumbra Black Plague. And the f- last game, I don't know if it's the last game, but a more recent game called Soma, also by Frictional Games. I didn't love the predecessor to Penumbra, which was Penumbra Overture. It was fine, but it didn't have the same feel. And I wasn't super into Amnesia Machine for Pigs because that was by a different developer, and they ruined it. But these three games all have something in common. All these games use physics of grabbing and moving things, like moving boxes around, opening drawers, opening doors actually physically with your mouse. And they really put you physically in the space of the game and just like what you mentioned earlier with alien isolation these are games where you don't engage with the main horror the the main monster or the main enemy in the game and usually it's just one thing that's out there trying to get you and you're hiding Mm -hmm. in amnesia and penumbra if these monsters come out and you even point the camera at them, your whole sanity starts to break down. The screen starts to shake. Your vision blurs and you can get a game over just from looking at the enemy. So you have to hide and it's terrifying. And that is awesome. So awesome. It is. I love I, those games so much. I think uh, they do a really good job of the Hitchcockian horror, which is always about um, what you imagine in your head is mm. worse than anything that you can possibly put on screen or in front of someone. And th- they're just like to manipulate you psychologically so much. Like you, you can, you can read up on these articles about how the game design is like attacking your subconscious in various ways that you don't, I don't, I don't want to mm-hmm. spoil the different ways. Cause it's kind of like looking, looking behind the curtain at wizard of Oz type thing. But mm-hmm. there's a lot with audio and all those games that they're, mm-hmm. that they're just, 
playing you like a puppet. It's so interesting. Yeah. The more they play me, the more I love it. <laughs> um, I do want to give a shout out to uh, a special group um, of publishers or game designers. Uh, call them what you will right now. Um, the Dread X group uh, of mm. game designers and publishers is probably my favorite people in horror right now and what they're doing um, besides a couple of uh, you know other develop indie developers here and there but the dread x group massive shout out to them for for trying something new all the time uh, they put together i think they started as uh, itch.io collective where they mm -hmm. were just like we're gonna take some itch.io games uh polish them up and then put them on i think it was steam at the time and do like a or maybe they did a package on itch, but it was just like, here's a bunch of PS1 graphics games, uh, horror games, and then buy the whole lot for 10 bucks. And they've been so successful through their efforts in doing that, that they're starting to publish and fund um, development of games. And they're fantastic. And those guys are keeping the lights on for horror better, better than anybody. So have Amazing. to give a shout out. Awesome. And I also noticed that there's, there's a lot of new horror games like within the past maybe five years it seems like there's been a big influx of horror games that people really find to be excellent there were names that i just kept coming across over and over and thinking man i'm not playing enough horror games <laughs> um, i won't list those but you'll find them if you go look and hopefully i'll be able to play them soon i'm excited for the uh, future of horror because uh the the kids that grew up with Five Nights at Freddy's and all these Roblox horror things, those kids are going to become game designers. And if they grew up on horror, like playing it and starting to see like behind the curtain a little bit, they are going to be master storytellers and they're going to mess with us old Gen X and millennial people. And they're going to give us heart attacks. And that's how I want to go out. So they're going to be awesome. I have full faith in the horror for ki these kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be super good. I think it's just going to get better and better. For but sure. will it ever be as good as Night Trap I from 1992 on the Sega CD? Who knows? <sighs> I'm so excited to talk about this. So here we go. Night Trap. What is Night Trap? Night Trap's an FMV game, which is basically an interactive movie, FMV standing for full motion video, the new term that was coming about in the early 90s when games <laughs> were starting to incorporate video into the play. And you're trying to stop numerous invaders from murdering a group of teenage girls who had been invited to spend the night at a rural home and I guess winemaking facility. Um, <laughs> you watch... Sorry videos pervert play out across eight surveillance cameras and you switch back and forth between them and activate traps to catch the predators that's basically the game that's that's the but, game yeah so that's that's the basic foundation but what was the history of this game october 15th 1992 this game was released for the sega cd it followed in december 93 on the 3do and October 94 for DOS and Mac, and then January 95 for 32X. Developer was Digital Pictures, and it was published by Sega, Virgin Interactive on the 3DO, and Digital Pictures themselves on the other platforms. Now, it has kind of a really interesting history. There were two designers, Rob Fulop, who had made Missile Command and Demon Attack on the Atari, and James Riley. 
and it was written by Terry McDonnell, who we'll talk about a little bit later, and produced by Tom Zito, who had been working with Axlon, which was a Nolan Bushnell and Steve Wozniak company, weirdly. So this game was beginning to take shape as early as 1985. Now, we said that it was released in 1992. Well, what was happening? So it came into conceptualization as a VHS-based interactive movie for Hasbro's Control Vision platform. Oh. Which, kids, if you don't know what a VHS is... It's a cassette <laughs> that goes into a VCR and plays video off of a tape. So <laughs> this was going to be something that you played a VHS in and somehow controlled with a controller, maybe a remote control. I don't know exactly what the system looked like or, or how you interfaced with it, but it was based on VHS tapes. And originally it was a modified ColecoVision made by this company, Axelon. And technically, it would have been a third-gen console, which is the same generation as the Nintendo Entertainment System or the Master System. But, but, it didn't make it right away. It took all the way until 1992. So, it was inspired originally by a play called Tamara, or Tamara, Tamara, which showed 13 rooms simultaneously, and the audience had to follow the stories that they they were most interested in kind of piece it together and apparently these guys Fullup and Riley watched it repeatedly one weekend to be able to take in the story and then got this idea of using surveillance cameras to view different rooms in a house so they made a prototype it was like a five minute prototype called scene of the crime with this surveillance camera concept and it was about a, a robbery a burglary okay and they demoed it to Hasbro in 1986, who liked it and said, let's go for it. And over time, it changed, it morphed. Zito, the uh, producer, he actually wanted it to be, much like your Friday the 13th, he wanted it to be Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. But he couldn't get the license. And this, I think, is where we started to go downhill. He hired the writer, Terry McDonnell. Now, this guy... It's hilarious when you think about Night Trap versus what I'm about to say. So he wrote two Miami Vice episodes and some other stuff. He edited Sports Illustrated and Golf Magazine, Men's Journal. He edited Rolling Stone for a time, Esquire. And his magazines have been nominated for 29 National Magazine Awards. And he's in the Magazine Editor's Hall of Fame. But if you just played Night Trap, you would think he couldn't write at all. Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong? Maybe, maybe some dialogue changed uh, live on set from the original script. I don't know. But, um, whoo, boy. <laughs> the story was originally a little bit different. It was going to be about teenagers staying in a billionaire's house when ninja burglars invaded. And that came from 90s. that scene of the crime game. Got but it. it changed. They turned into vampires instead of ninja burglars and hasbro wanted them to move a little bit more slowly to not be so violent to have the violence be quote-unquote non-reproducible they wanted to take all these steps to make sure 
that this game was not perceived in a bad way. They made non-reproducible violence. They used unusual blood-draining devices. They completely forbade these vampires to bite anyone's neck. They were really, really conscientious about this. That's a good point. Huh. Oh my goodness, but we're going to see something weird happens later. So the game was filmed in 1987, and... They even had Don Burgess, who was the director of photography of freaking Forrest Gump, as the DP on set for Night Trap. Wow. They also had Dana Plato from Different Strokes kind of rounding out her career as the star of this show. But the Control Vision was canceled in 1989 because it cost a lot to make. It was originally planned to be $199 in... 1989 money and then because of the DRAM that was necessary it was $299 that they were going to have to charge for it the NES meanwhile was $99 plus the budget for filming games like this was like you know we're getting into film budget and the budget for this game was 1.5 million dollars another game that was going to be on this system was Sewer Shark, and that one had a budget of $3 million. So it was very expensive. Hasbro was like, forget this. Kind of sucks, right? They mm-hmm. put all this work in. They had this concept canned. So Zito bought the footage for both games and founded his own company. And this was largely inspired <laughs> by him hearing that Sony was planning or considering having Sewer Shark on their upcoming Super Nintendo CD-ROM. This guy can't catch a break, which because we know that that console never took shape. There was the classic backstab of Sony by Nintendo that led to the fracturing of the video game market, as we know, That's from right. the late 90s. One of the greatest mistakes in gaming. Hmm. So Zito finally partnered with Sega, to bring these to Sega CD in 1992, so five years later. So in 1993, a lot of stuff happened surrounding this game and some other violent media. First, Night Trap was banned for sale to kids under 15 in the UK. Really? As a response, Sega created the Video Game Rating Council, which preceded... The ESRB, which is what rates games now. So that was 1993 or 4. They put that together in response to this UK ban. But more notable was the 1993 congressional hearings on video games. That's right. On December 9th of 93, which highlighted Mortal Kombat, a game known for its gruesome violence and fatality animations and it highlighted night trap which the u.s senate claimed promoted sexual aggression against women hmm how would they how would that uh, factor into it because i don't see it well it's interesting you, you know during the hearings barry not barry zito that's a pitcher um <laughs> tom zito <laughs> recalls approaching Senator Lieberman, and and asking him, hey, have you ever played this game? Do you even know what's happening in this game? You're trying to protect these girls. Yeah. And he said, 
I don't need to play it. It's filth or something to that effect. Oh, that, that, that explains politicians in a nutshell. There you go. Classic, right? Yeah, of course. And then you have Nintendo on the other side saying, you know what? We can, we can use this to our advantage. So we have Howard Lincoln there saying, you know, he's testifying saying Sega is so wrong for this. Night Trap will never appear on a Nintendo system because it does not pass our guidelines for what makes, you know, wholesome video game content. Virtue signaling for sales. I love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He uh, he wanted to get in the good graces of uh, the American government, I'm sure. He wanted to protect Nintendo. Classy, classy. Throw throw yeah. the rest of the industry under the bus so that you can profit from it specifically. Love yeah, it. Pretty unfortunate. But... <laughs> You know, this had an effect that they did not expect. And that was that Night Trap sold 50,000 copies the week after the hearings. <laughs> you Go tell figure. kids, like, you know, 15, 16-year-olds, that they can't have something, that Toys R Us and KB Toys are no longer stocking it because <laughs> uh, it's, too, it's too too violent. Yeah. Well, they're going to go out and buy it as soon as they can. And they of did. Of course. Yeah. So Sega ended up pulling the game everywhere, you know, from stores everywhere in January 94. Then the ESRB was officially created in September 1994. And after the ESRB was created, that paved the way for those ports that I mentioned earlier, Mm. where it was moved to DOS and Mac and to the 32X. And later, to the Switch the Nintendo Switch in in 2018 for the 25th anniversary when it came to the Switch and the PS Vita and uh, the PS5 and Windows again in this remaster with higher quality visuals, you know, the real footage. So, I mean, ultimately it was kind of a success. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the congressional hearings actually helped it more than it hurt it sold about 400,000 copies by 1998 so within six years it did you know it did fine but um why did it do fine do we think do we think it did fine what was your prior relationship with this game did you play it back then uh I didn't play it back then um until years later because I didn't I couldn't get a hold of a Sega CD Mm. uh Super Nintendo was my game or a console but I did get a hold of it. I, I read about it in, a, in every magazine, like everyone else or every other gamer back then. I read every gaming magazine I get my hands on, a cover to cover. So I knew about it. I knew the situation around it a little bit um, and the controversy. So I was really excited to play it. And when I, I remember as a kid finally playing it, again, I, like I said, years after, and I couldn't understand a lot of the uh, hubbub around it because I thought it was lame. I thought... Mm. uh you are protecting girls, you are doing all that, and it was just lame. And even when Night Trap came out, I mean, if you if you think about like what you were talking about when it was recorded in 87, and then, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't until five or six later that, years later that that footage came out. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that trends back then moved very quickly. If you think about 87 to 93, that was hair metal to grunge in, a, in, in that span of time. <laughs> culturally so like a lot of the the things that you saw or the the fashions they seem very dated by that time so like 
by the time I played it mid to later 90s, you know, it was really dated at the time. So it just seemed like a, yeah, a kitschy. Yeah, almost like a, I don't know if you're familiar with this movie company called Canon Films, but they made all this like direct-to-video schlock and it was just bad. So it, yeah, it, it, I just thought it was weird. Hmm. At the time. How about you? Okay. I don't remember playing it to any great extent back then. My one friend had the game, my friend Mike. He had a Sega CD, and he loved it. I think just because the the visuals, it's you know, it's a real movie on a video game system. Like it seemed super cool to a lot of people actually. Just the idea of full motion video itself was really exciting for video game players of the time. Yeah. I may have like sampled it, but I don't think I ever fully got into the gameplay of it because when I revisited it for this podcast, I didn't actually know how I was supposed to interface with the game. So I had to read the <laughs> manual just before starting. Yeah. And I said, oh, that's what this game is. I must not have really played it. But I knew about it. I have this big piece of construction paper that was lodged in my things from like middle school or, or younger, I guess, where me and a bunch of the boys in class, we wrote down all our favorite games on all our different consoles that had been, you know, on all the different consoles that were out up to that point. And a lot of people wrote down Night Trap for <laughs> Sega CD. But I think that's no. just because it was, you know, it was in the news. Like, they never played it. They were like, yo, Night Trap, that's the one. It's got the, it's got the girls and it's scary and the, gov the senators hate it. That's the one. It's so cool. Oh. But uh, I never really played through it until now. And what'd you think? Well, what I think. So the retro replay experience for me was <sighs> underwhelming. <laughs> so we said that you're watching all these surveillance cameras, but you're basically you're flipping back and forth between channels, right? You're flipping back between the channel, the different surveillance cameras that are around the house. And what you're trying to do is be on the right channel at the right time to see when the, let's just say at the, at, in the beginning they start as burglars or, or mm -hmm. assailants, if you will, will be in that camera. And if you, you have to wait until the right time to press the trap button, which might knock them into like a secret compartment. It might, the wall might flip and they get, you know, we don't know what happens to them. All we know is that the house basically eats them and then they're gone. <laughs> but mm -hmm. there's no like supernatural stuff on our side. It's just like, they get flipped into something and they're gone forever. Um, but what's funny is if you want to hear the story or, you know, know why all these people are convening, like these innocents convening at this location, you can't actually follow the story and play the gameplay at the same time. The, the, the story and the dance and song number actually serve mm -hmm. as distractions from the gameplay. So there's that element that's clever about it, but it's also like it really necessitates multiple playthroughs to follow both the story and why you're doing it and then also prevent things from happening. So, yeah, but yeah. the thing is, the gameplay side, if you press the wrong button or the, the trap button at the wrong time, those guys are going to go through and they're going to do whatever. And then there's the other element that, the one element that pissed me off the most, and it's I read that it's the only random element in the game, you have like a, a trap color and it's like several colors i think yeah and the traps will only activate 
if you're on the right color. So at some point, you have to change to red or orange or purple. And then if you're in a scene with the assailants coming in and you're on blue, but it's set to purple or they want you to set it to purple, the trap won't activate. And it's aggravating because that <laughs> when you learn about the color, it's only on a certain camera at a certain point, And it's so annoying. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So the like the narrative behind this is that there's a control room somewhere in the basement of the house, and anyone can go down there and change what is essentially like a key code or a password to access the system that you, as a member of the uh, Sega something attack team, Sega control yeah. attack, well, something like that, SCAT, the worst acronym <laughs> ever, accessing the house system from outside via a wire spliced in super obviously in their back hallway but we'll set that aside and you're able to control this system that they presumably used to capture a previous group of kids who were invited there and drain them of their blood but um the way that you're interfacing is kind of password protected and the password is just a color and you'll hear them mention, oh, I'm going to change it to purple and walk through the door. And then you're like, okay, now I have to wait about five to 10 seconds and then it'll be changed. And in order to trigger those traps, you're watching this little meter, which I think in the new version is just, it's just like a flashing color. But in the original, yep. it was a meter that was like approaching a line. And once it passed the line, you could trigger it, but not before. When it yep. got into like the red zone, the critical zone, they're close enough in proximity to that particular trap for you to be able to quickly tap your button and activate it and start an animation where they get sucked in, however. And man, you get familiar with where the trap locations are. So you're like, okay, once he steps right there, I know it's going to turn red. So I got to be ready because those windows are pretty small, right? tiny tiny yeah second. yeah it's like like frames worth yep especially later on too in the game um they become tighter and tighter like i started missing some and i couldn't figure out why and you spend 20 30 minutes getting to that point and you've gotten every single guy up to that point and then you miss one or two and you're like there goes that ending who's gotten there. every single guy i i didn't get any every single guy at all you man you must be i crazy. heard that's the way see that's that's the perfectionist in me if i play a tower defense game if I, and if i get one enemy through and i don't get that perfect bonus at the end i restart the map so oh no this game oh pissed no me off <laughs> for that <laughs> I, like i played it all the way through uh cindy got bit by the dude i was pissed I didn't get the ending I wanted. Um, and I have to recommend to people, if you play it, play the 25th anniversary. Well, you you should play the Sega Genesis Mini version if you get it your hands on it because it's like the OG. But the Switch one and the, the remaster for PC as well, which doesn't work on Steam Deck, I found out. Um, it, it crashes repeatedly on Steam Deck. So the Switch one is great, though, because you can play it for all the different remasters. But the updated mm. cameras, we have to talk about the cameras. I'll let you do yeah. that. But the cameras are so important in the updated one. Yeah, so I only just learned this moments before we started recording. Okay. So the interface of the game 
it's a lot like a classic point and click adventure game where it has the screen with the action sort of on the top and then kind of like a control panel below. But in this case, the control panel is eight icons that represent the different rooms. And they are pixel drawn icons. They're just buttons. You don't see what's happening in those cameras. You only see what's happening in the channel you're on. On the new one, what is it? The new one, it's actual uh, video. The, you're seeing like the live feed. So it actually feels like you're watching live footage or live feeds in multiple surveillance cameras. The other ones being static images. To me, I, I feel like the new version is the version of Night Trap that's supposed to exist. So I don't feel yeah. like it's cheating or anything because like looking at static versions of like a screen of a room in the bottom corner and then you click it and it's like it's filled with people dancing and talking it just doesn't make any sense so mm -hmm. it, it also creates this panic of like you have to go through all the the feeds in the old version and you're like is something happening here is something happening here and then it ends up being more like a take notes and memorize type of situation versus mm. i'm going to look a lot and I, when i was playing it it reminded me a lot of like playing a MOBA of how I stare at the map for like three quarters of the game and to see where people are going. And that felt very yeah. natural switching over to that. And uh, yeah, it, it completely changes the experience. And I actually enjoyed that version a lot more than the other one. It felt less frustrating. Yeah, it seems like that is probably the vision for what the game was supposed to be conceptually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it they couldn't implement it with the hardware at the time. I just imagine that's probably what happened there. Yeah. And the experience of playing the game, I played the original version for this. Okay. And my experience was, you know, the first time I played, I tried to go to the channels where things were happening, where I was watching the story, because even in the instruction manual, it says, if you're in a room where nothing's happening, get out of there, go where things yeah. are happening. So I'm sitting there on screen and I'm watching the story play out and I'm saying to myself, I can't interact with this at all. And then I realize, oh, where things are happening just means not where the story's playing out, but where these augers is what they're called are wandering around. So then the game became flipping from channel to channel the second the screen came up if there was nothing there flipping to the next one the second that screen came up flip to the next one etc 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 just constantly between the eight channels just like flipping back and forth with your tv remote over and over to every channel till you saw an auger and try to press that button in time and not seeing any of the story in order to be successful as you said before which just seems so silly I mean, I get the idea of like playing a game multiple times to piece together the story. That's I've it. Played yeah. plenty of games like that, but it just the the way that this was done was like you're literally either winning the game or enjoying the part of the game that was produced as a story for you to watch, and you cannot do both. And even if you try to watch the story part, you can't just do that either. Because the game will end prematurely mm -hmm. if you're not also stopping the guys. So you yep. literally can't watch the whole story without going online. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's possible to see the story and and even make it to the end of the game. I don't think get, so either. Yeah, my first time and second time and third time I played, I would be in the middle of something and it would cut to the guy, my... my uh, 
co-operative who was there outside the house talking to the screen saying, nope, that's it. What are you doing? You're terrible at this. Yep. You're out of here. Breaking contact. And he pulls the cord <laughs> and you go to black, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, that's, yeah. that's like a cool uh, interactive moment. It, it happened to me a lot. Uh, I, I played way too much of this game. Um, I played it. <laughs> A lot with my wife, and she was completely enamored with it. She had never heard about it. Uh, she just was, she really provided a lot of perspective. Like, how does this even exist? This is insane. <laughs> and she was Product cackling. Of the time. Yeah. And then, then so um, after a few playthroughs of that, uh, she got bored and she went to whatever she's playing. So I switched to the Switch and kind of dug deeper into the game about it and yeah i had, had very similar reaction where it's like this is interesting that they're doing a lot of fun stuff you know and i was i was playing through the gameplay testing things out it really felt like the inevitable hero arc of kevin McAllister as he becomes more of a social shut-in doesn't even talk to people <laughs> and just as does like security people's homes yeah <laughs> kevin McAllister's a uh, scat program <laughs> you oh know god um, but no, it was, uh, I, now that I'm on this side of the industry a little bit more, I thought more about like, okay, how did this product come to be? So it was a, it was a failed product in the eighties, like, right? Like the late eighties, they were sitting around with Sega CD and they're like, okay, we need some content for this thing. What can we do? And was there someone that was right, like around, uh, the, the business table and they were like, business table, look at me. I know a thing that we can bring for cheap. Uh, I know this guy that recorded something for this thing in late eighties Let's just unearth that footage, slap a game design around it, and there we go. We got Night Trap for the Sega CD. We got one of the titles that we need. I think they thought that this was the future, like video on on video games. You oh, yeah. So? I, I, I think they did think it was the future, but I think they had a product, like a Sega CD, that didn't have much much content for it. Yeah, I mean, that's true, yeah. Yeah, so I think what they did were like, how can we package something up so it feels like a full product? And they were like looking at this knife because that footage is old. It was old when it came mm -hmm. out. But Tom Zito believed in that so yeah. hard, so much that he bought it off of Hasbro or whoever owned the rights to it. But I wonder how much so he, he was paid like for championing it. this stuff. He's like, this is it. This is the future. I'm gonna give it to someone, and it's gonna be great. I, I wonder what the PNL was supposed to be for it. Like it costs, you mentioned like 1.5 million, I think to make. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they were sitting around like, okay, it costs 1.5 million. And it was Sega like, ah, oh, we're not going to pay that much. He's like, well, I can get it for 50 K or I can get, I can get all that footage for a hundred K. Cause it's just sitting there. No one's doing anything with it. And when, were they like, okay, what's the, what's the production cost and game development on this going to be? So were they like, all in, it's going to cost us $250,000 to publish, to put together mm. the game product. And then to market, we're going to throw 250000 So, it, you know, all in $500,000. We need to sell X amount of copies to make money back on this. Like, well, I want to know what that discussion was like for this. Because yeah. it's it should not exist. And, and who thought of this game as a player... You know, sitting there watching this. Okay, the traps I understand, and I'm sorry, I'm getting like hyped up because this is where I got. This is my love hate relationship. But then someone is like, "We're gonna stick in a dance number with Dana Plato." Yeah, it felt like Teen Witch a little bit. You know, like that yeah. era. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yeah, like, it was so that. B movie ish. It was like everything '80s B movie 
that they could <laughs> that they could put in there was there. And the augers, like you have this mix of like, oh, I'm gonna talk to the player and it's people in bad, cheap costumes from Spirit Halloween type stuff. And yeah. then mixed with uh, abducting these people. It very much feels like something for children, but yet the aesthetics are a bit more adult. And the way that the augers move around, oh my God, it's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I, that was deliberate. As I said, that was deliberate to make them like, <sighs> I guess like less threatening. Or something, I, yeah. It was uh, it was an interesting combination of influences on the final product. <laughs> but when you talk about the money, like if it sold four hundred thousand copies at what, like sixty dollars a pop, that's mm-hmm. twenty four million dollars that it made, minus manufacturing costs, production costs, whatever. Yeah. So, so was it profitable? I, I feel like it was profitable. There's no like conclusive definitive answer to that question but that suggests to me that it did make money who can you dm on twitter to ask if it was profitable <laughs> let's call tom zito i'll have him I on mean... next episode <laughs> there you go do nice. it um okay i just before we before we wrap up the story itself the writing itself how good or bad was it on a scale of zero to five out of 10 how bad was <laughs> oh um no really it was a one like, it was a i was gonna say zero but it was a one there was an effort made everybody's okay. certainly trying their best to sell they're trying their best to the maximum amount of their personal ability to sell those lines uh yeah. it's the story is basically non-existent uh, i tried from many different angles i tried to learn everything i could about why people were there you know the dana plano is like a plant mm-hmm. from you um and they're talking to the screen and so like breaking the fourth wall a little bit as that i thought was actually a kind of a a pretty good angle i think i think mm-hmm. there's something with night trap here that you could take and make into a game now and and do it really well you could still do it with FMVs in a way if if they would have leaned in on the schlock a little bit, you know, like uh, uh, the Frighteners a little bit. Like the Frighteners is is schlocky, but Peter Jackson mm-hmm. knew how to lean into it. Uh, Army of Darkness, uh, Evil Dead knows how to lean into the schlock. Uh, Reanimator, that type of thing. Yeah, uh, it, it requires a, a certain POV and execution style to do schlock and satire. So if they would have done that, I think it would have been fun. But they played it too serious. So, yeah, it's it just misses the mark for me. It just feels like a canon film, like uh, those old um, vanity projects. You know, Neil Breen or anything like that. It just feels like a guy has too much money and then he'll cast himself in the lead of a movie that he also directs and writes or something. And it just, you know, clearly that person has lost touch with reality. It seems like someone yeah, lost yeah, touch yeah. with reality. Actually, that's funny you mentioned that. I was going to say... <laughs> playing it now i felt like it didn't go hard enough i guess like you said they were like just at the edge of leaning into so bad it's good like is it troll 2 is it the room not quite not quite but it's like on its way to that yeah it is you're right tommy wiseau the room it was like somewhere between um troll 2 and or it's a combination of troll 2 and uh uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which is the worst one in the series, probably. Mm. It's just like things but not quite don't as work. good as Nightmare on Elm Street 2. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I think the 
vampire thing could have been dropped entirely and they could have just done the burglars and stuck with that um and that notion of what it was i i think yeah, yeah even i mean at the beginning of it my wife said it looked like a porno <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's probably the... what got it in trouble yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it does feel like that and you you are protecting the girls but yeah i don't know but you ultimately like the content is pretty tame like when you look oh. at it now it's just so obviously not gory it's not edgy it's like nothing it is tame to yep. me right oh it's extremely tame the only thing that's kind of crazy with it i guess is like at, at the end um if cindy gets grabbed you know he the well i i had the the guy bite her or not bite her but like pull her away and then it's like oh my god he's being aggressive with her but none of the oh, grabbing pulled of her the by way, like the wrist yeah 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 and none of the like scenes where they grab the people they don't feel like they're putting up much of a fight so yeah it, yeah exactly you know and it just doesn't feel like there's much even when you when you uh trap the enemies the augers or whatever it may be at the time it doesn't feel like a situation of you're causing them any harm you're just going zoop and moving them yeah into a it's different so goofy like it should <laughs> yeah. be playing it should be playing yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> or making a, a penny whistle sound or something like that you know yeah so silly it just feels creepy more than anything at this point um mm. because if you're watching the girls dancing as like a grown man you're like what am i doing with my life right now and so yeah. i felt i got I stuck really... on that scene i was like what the hell is this yeah <laughs> why am i watching this <laughs> And so I got to tell you what I was really trying for like a 100% playthrough run, which didn't happen because <laughs> I got too frustrated. I had to restart it probably a hundred times because I missed one. I was just getting so mad and the loading times on the switch are a little longer than usual. But that, that new mode that allows you to look at all the rooms at once, mm -hmm. I would be looking out for all the different augers and locations that were coming. I was starting to memorize them. And then I would look at the other cameras and see where the dance number was happening. I'm like, it's still going on and but so and, long and you can tell that that's a distraction because there's you know half a dozen a dozen augers that come through during that time and there's a little red light in the bottom left corner of the screen that blips anytime you miss a situation where you could have trapped someone and mm -hmm. every time i saw that i would just just about throw my switch through the tv <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that so was in the original in the original it just said like when they entered the house it's like the oh, number okay. would tick up and be like, someone's here. He's like, oh, where do I go? Where are they? Because oh, you can't okay. watch where they are. So you're just frantically swinging through the cameras. Like, oh, I got to find them, got to find them. And inevitably, you get there right as they've stepped away from the pixel that you can click your button on to trap them. Hate it. And that's so frustrating. Um, For this one, I actually saved the reception section that used to be in history for right here before our final thoughts oh, because cool. I didn't want to ruin it. Yeah, yeah. But as far as ratings went, it was mixed reviews, let's say. Uh, some places, some publications rated it very well, like an 89% from 
Electronic <laughs> Games, or an 85 from Mega, or 89 from Mean Machine Sega, or an 84 from Sega Force. We had a 5 out of 10 from this, I guess, magazine Dragon. But then you had other things like computer and video games, reputable publication, right? 71%, kind of right down the middle. And then you have GamePro, 19 out of 20 for the Sega CD, but then it dropped after the shine had wore off for the 3DO, 14 and a half out of 20, or 11 and a half out of 20 for the 32X. Next Generation Magazine, another serious games magazine, yep. gave the 32X version a one out of five. <sighs> Sega Zone rated the Sega CD version 58%. Uh, Edge Magazine, five out of 10. So all over the place, a lot of really bad, some really good. Later on, 1996, Computer Gaming World listed Night Trap at number six of the 50 worst games of all time. <laughs> it was ranked the 12th worst video game of all time by EGM in 2001. And Game Informer listed it among the worst horror games of all time in 2008. And then mm -hmm. it was number 59 on Games Radar's 100 worst games of all time in 2014. So that's those thoughts. But what are your final thoughts, Kyle? You know the deal. We played yeah. this game. We revisited it. And we want to know when we played it, was it worth going back to? Is it a smash? Should we go back to it? Was it worth it? Is it worth other people playing it in 2023 and beyond? Or was it more of a brick? What do you say? Smash. It's, all, it's a smash for sure. It's, a, it, it's one of those landmark Ooh. titles. I think it's a landmark title that that everyone needs to play, but you have to have someone around. You have to know the context, or or have someone like that, like me or you, that's an absolute dork about this to give you. Like, there's so many memes that I'm talk. I'm thinking about of like that guy talking to a girl and like she's ignoring him. Like that's me and you talking to someone about Night Trap, but while they're playing it, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, but but I I do feel like it's uh if you want to know the greatest hits of gaming. Um, in terms of like storytelling or touch points throughout history, Night Trap is in that mix for better and for worse. And yeah, absolutely play it, but only play it for a little while. <laughs> hmm. You How can't you? convince me, Kyle. You no, just really? can't convince me. <laughs> um, I appreciate that it exists, but I think it's hot garbage. I think you should go on YouTube and watch it because that's the best way to enjoy it. I don't think you need to even interface with this piece of software at all. So I'm going to say, no, it's a brick. <laughs> Bummer. Bummer. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I appreciate the history, obviously, but I think you can read the history and watch the video, but I don't think uh, it's not worth playing to me at all. <laughs> so, to each their own. so with that, Night Trap, uh, we're going to say it's neither a smash nor a brick. We're going to call it a question block. Ooh. Because we had a split decision here. So, I mean, it's it's not a smash, but we'll call it a question block. How's that? Good on you for not overriding your guest's opinion. <laughs> yeah, I figure if it's just 50-50, we got to have a majority, right? Yeah. But um, ultimately, it's not a smash, but also not the worst thing that we can rate it. Fair. And we also received some commentary on Night Trap Ooh. from Legit Camel, a Discord member. It's probably not worth purchasing, but 
I totally think it's worth checking out if you get the chance. It's become somewhat of a cult classic, and it's absolutely hilarious because of the cheesy acting. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube for free, which is my recommendation, <laughs> because the gameplay is pretty frustrating, and really, it's just a playable movie. Thanks, Legit Camel. I agree with you. <laughs> um, so that's it. That is Night Trap. You can go ahead and get it on the Switch or or Steam now for that 25th anniversary edition if you want to listen to Kyle. Or you can find it on YouTube if you want to listen to me. <laughs> YouTube and Wikipedia. That'll handle everything. Um, so, <laughs> thanks everybody. Thanks so much for listening and playing along with us if you did. And thank you, Kyle, once again for joining me on the show. Uh, it's my pleasure. Should... Awesome. My pleasure. Whose pleasure? Both our pleasure. Uh, where would you like people to go to see what you're doing, what you're working on? Uh, I host a podcast called Heart of Cash. Uh, it's available everywhere. We do, um, it's the official podcast of Robot Cash. Uh, like I always say, it's the first platform where you can buy and sell digital games. So if you buy anything on our store, you can then, you can play it and then you can sell it for up to 25% of what you paid for it. And um, that's, that 25% is dictated by the publisher. And if that's something that you'd like to see more of, let us know. But every week I have interviews with um, industry professionals. Lately I've had... Uh, some people from uh, Take This, which is the mental health charity. We talk about game design with some people. Um, every week it's something different, and it's largely dictated by our community. So if there's nice. anything that you'd want to see in the industry, um, anything you want to learn about, uh, just go on our Discord and do that. So, yeah, robotcash.com. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, so everybody, go find Kyle there. Woo! And uh, I guess while you're on a podcasting platform, make sure you look at smashing bricks and if you've listened this far go ahead and leave us a generous and helpful five star rating and review for totally free it's free <laughs> it just takes about you know a few seconds it and if you want to go above and beyond that and support the show monetarily while getting some fun perks head over to patreon.com smashing bricks and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month you can also jump in at the Fireflower tier and choose a specific game to be played on an upcoming and recently renamed Power Up episode. Or you can get ongoing recognition or even earn yourself a spot on the show as a co-host with higher tiers of support. And one of the most important things is for everybody, and that's bi-weekly episodes of the show, which you're hearing right now. If you notice, this one was only two weeks after the previous one. Once we reach our monthly goal, everyone will get twice the number of episodes, kind of like today. So again, check out the details at patreon.com smashingbricks and join amazing supporters like Legit Camel and Ms. Muso, who recently decided to level up and support the podcast since our last episode. We're also on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. You can find all those links in the episode description and at our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash smashingbricks. You'll also find our Discord server link there. Nice, cozy place to chat about anything with the community and to leave commentary about upcoming and past games or suggest games to be considered for the show. Uh, you can check out the Smashing Bricks playlist to see what you think needs to be added or to evangelize games already listed. As for next episode, I'll once again be joined by Anthony Labella to play and discuss Gradius Collection 
Gradius Collection, I don't know how it's pronounced, for the Sony PlayStation Portable, which is essentially a compilation of Gradius 1 through 4 and Gaiden. So go get your hands on a copy, play along, send in your thoughts, and join us next time on Smashing Bricks. That wraps it up for Gradius. today. Is it Gradius? That's what I always thought. But uh, So neither know. of the things that I said. I, I don't know. Oh my I'm, God. I'm, I We're going to have to know. look this I, up. You guys have to gra- write in and tell me. Maybe it's Gradius. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, that wraps it up for today. I'm still Eddie Inzato. That is still Kyle Stalock. Thank you, Kyle, once again. Happy and Halloween. Woo, happy Halloween. And until next time, may the nostalgia be with you. Mm-hmm.